You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Last, but certainly not least, very important, I want to welcome all of you who are visiting. My name's Jose. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor, and we are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior, and that's Jesus. Really glad that you are here to celebrate or maybe find more about who he is as a church. We've been looking through, uh, we've been working through this book of Philippians, New Testament letter, four chapters long. It'd only take you about 20 minutes to read it or listen to it if you just want to get that Bible app and press play. We're looking at how Paul reiterates one word, one theme over and over, over a dozen times. He says the word rejoice or talks about this concept of joy in verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord, not sometimes, not rarely, but always. Again, I say rejoice, and we have defined joy as sustained hope and what? Gratitude. Hey, someone's listening out there. All right, sustained hope and gratitude because it can sometimes seem contradictory. Well, why would I rejoice? Why would I have joy If I am dealing with a physical wound or a relational wound or a hardship in a current circumstance, and what I'm learning, and I hope you are too through this series, is that we can do both. We can hold on to hope. We can have gratitude despite difficult circumstances, which then actually alleviates the the, the stark wound that a hard circumstance Brings Last week, Sean taught us that we can see two levels at once. We can see the eternal and we can see the temporary simultaneously. And the joy is a communal exercise. This morning, we're going to be challenged. So I hope that you came ready to be challenged. In Philippians chapter 2, we read about the mindset of Jesus. We're going to be reading through verse 1 through 11. And so if you bring your Bibles, you can flip there. The mindset that Jesus had, which is an incredible opportunity, but also an incredible challenge to all of us non-saviors, all of us non-God, okay, all of us human beings. Before we dive in, let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this space, and Father, I thank you for your word that guides, convicts, and directs us. I pray that we would all hear what you want us to hear. I pray that we would respond to you, Jesus, respond to what you did for us on the cross, what you did for us uh, on your resurrection because of your resurrection. And Father, may we draw closer to you as a response to what you have written here in this beautiful book. All of this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. We all have a mindset We all have something that we set our minds to when we start something new. Maybe it's the beginning of the school year. You set your mind to have a a great year. You set your mind to be that straight-A student. Seniors in high school, you're setting your minds on beating all those other people that are applying to that college that you want to get to. Or you're trying out for that sports team. You're setting your mind to get on that team. uh, College seniors, you're setting your mind to get a job and maybe start a family or figure out what that next step in your life is. If we are in the workplace, we set our minds to excel, right? We set our minds to be promoted. Setting our minds, attitude, as they say, is altitude. When you set your mind to something, it allows you to elevate and do great at what you are about to do. We 
just started soccer season in the Wimberley Valley. Greatest season of all because we get to play the most beautiful game in the entire world and kick <laughs> soccer balls around the field. And it was about four to five years ago. Yesterday was the perfect soccer day, by the way. It was amazing. Anyway, when uh, I started coaching around four to five years ago, it was like a dream come true. I get to coach my own kids in soccer. I've played the sport all my life, and I set my mind to something. And if I'm being really honest, it wasn't at coaching my kids. It, it wasn't even about having a soccer ball around me. I had something to prove this town. And that is that I am going to be the greatest soccer coach that this village has ever seen. I'm going to raise up the next Lionel Messi, the next Mia Hamm. I am going to bring in a new era of soccer in Wimberley. If I'm being honest, that was my mindset. And so it was a humbling moment. <laughs> you guys were laughing and I haven't even told you what the moment was. When I told my wife after a few practices, these kids don't get it. And she told me, Jose, they're five and they're four. What do you want them to get? I'm like, those lines right there. That's in, that's out. Stop playing when the ball goes out of bounds. At least get that or at least go to the ball. Or when you're at the ball, go to space because they fly around like this bunch of bees. And the ball goes everywhere except for the goal. And I ended up super frustrating. And then it was a climax. One of the first games, my daughter, all of three years old, was so upset. I wonder why. Maybe it was the intensity of the coach. And I ended up with her in my arms the entire game. That's what happens when we set our mind on the wrong thing. Setting our mind, our mindset, either allows us to succeed or fail at whatever. And it's so important for us who follow Jesus to set our minds in the same way that Jesus did and to define success in the same way that Jesus did. That is what Philippians 2 teaches us, how to have a Jesus mindset. I want to look at three mindsets that we can have as people, as followers of Jesus, or maybe you're here and you're not yet following Jesus. But first, what I want to do is I want to read the example, because in Philippians chapter two, Paul is writing to this church. It's actually a retired colony for Roman soldiers. So they had status. They had achieved certain things. Honor was a big deal. They were highly competitive and he challenges them. And it definitely challenges us to live a little differently. In verse one of Philippians chapter two, Paul writes, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion, then. So this is a good if then statement. He's saying, hey, if, if you've gotten anything from Jesus, if you've been comforted even a little bit, if, if you've developed this compassion or tenderness for others, verse two, Paul writes, then make my joy complete. See, he's saying if you have the right mindset, it will actually complete Paul's joy. And I also would argue that it completes our joy when we have this mindset. What is it? It's right there. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above 
yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What Paul is saying is these are church goals. He's speaking to a church family, and it's an encouragement for us. This is what we are trying to attain, this type of unity, this type of encouragement, this type of attitude that makes our joy complete. And then he goes on, and he's saying this is the same mindset that Jesus had. In verse 5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, these next few verses commonly are uh, written as a hymn. It's, it's called Christ hymn. Many think that this was a hymn that the early church would sing together to remember who we worship, who we look up to, the type of life that we want to follow and model. Here we go in verse six, says who? Jesus being in very nature God. So he was in the form of God, the only begotten son, the only son who was fully God and fully man. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He did not consider, though, equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. It's important here. He wasn't a servant. He took the form of, he was God, but he took the form. He borrowed this servant posture and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. My friends, this is a challenge to our ego that tends to edge God out, which tries to prove to others to gain status. And now we see that the God, the creator of the universe, humbled himself not only to our level as mere mortal humans, but he became obedient to the point of death on the cross. And here is the flip. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We just saying this earlier in heaven and on earth and under earth, meaning the angels, meaning the humans, meaning the demons, all will bow under the name of Jesus and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Whoa, Paul. Philippians, I can see like, oh man, I wish we can only do this sometimes or when it was like beneficial or when, you know, I wanted to or when other people were at least nice to us. But to take this posture, this mindset is the hope, not only for the church, but it's actually the hope of the world. A, a, a church family that is modeling their lifestyle after our Savior and modeling to others what it is like to give to someone that is undeserving of that gift or love or whatever. And so let's talk about these rival mindsets. There's two of them before we talk about this third Jesus mindset. The first mindset that is contrary to this is the inward mindset. That inward mindset says me first. That inward mindset says my reputation as a soccer coach is the primary motive why I'm coaching U6 soccer. It's about 
me. And we have to do some digging to, to, to really be honest as to what motivates certain behaviors. And if we dig and we realize at the bottom, yeah, this is about me uh, gaining some sort of upward mobility in a job or whatever, then that is that falls short of what Jesus is calling us to do. If you want more examples, there's a bunch of them in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul menses no words here. He goes straight to the heart. He says this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and every parent said amen, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, we're not done, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, meaning being kind of godly, being a Christian who kind of does what Jesus has asked them to, but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. 2,000 years ago, this was relevant. Is it relevant today? This is the inward mindset which says me first. And it's interesting because the opposite is not full, selfless, and outward mindset. We'll get there in just a bit, but I love how Tim Keller wrote in his book called Freedom from Self-Forgetfulness. He says this, the essence, of gospel uh, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. It's thinking about myself less. It's thinking about you less so that you can think of God more first, and then others more second. Because you see, the opposite of inward mindset is this outward mindset. The outward mindset says this, everybody else first, you first. So if the inward mindset is selfish, uh, vain conceit is what Philippians 2 talked about, having selfish ambition. The outward mindset, if you are a U6 soccer coach, you're in it for the participation trophy. You go too far and, and you don't teach soccer at all. You just hand out lollipops and snacks because after all, that's all they're really in there for them. But you don't realize snacks are a means to an end. You Give them snacks so that they learn that the, goal, that the ball goes into the goal. The outward mindset fully pleases people. And we end up enabling. We end up in this pattern of codependence when we are so focused in everybody else that we actually uh, relegate to not loving people honestly. We're, we're doing it in order to be humble, Right? And then we get steamrolled by everybody. We end up saying yes to anybody that asks. And if you've been there before, how does that work out if you're married and have children and have other responsibilities? We need to learn how to be in that middle. Not totally me or you mindset. Here is uh, what Matthew 537 says. Jesus said this. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Some of us need to learn how to say no. Well, we may be too much on the you mindset. We, we sign up for everything and then we end up burned out after a week when, when we signed up to do something over 
a year. And then some of us need to just let our yes be yes. You said yes to following Jesus. You said yes to coming to church every Sunday morning and yes to joining a community group. And we need to follow through with that. But allowing this yes to be yes and no to be no allows us to then live out this third mindset. This er third mindset is the upward mindset that Jesus models. And it says Jesus first or God first. See, if you think, well, I'm, my yes is going to be based on whatever I want, or my no is going to be based on it's just inconvenient. No, what if you go to Jesus with that? Have you prayed on that decision yet? And if in his word, and you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and if everybody else around you that follows Jesus is saying, hey, that is a good idea, then you have your yes from God. The problem is, is that we decide many times what we should do based on our own discernment, on our own emotion, however we're feeling in that moment. But this upward mindset says Jesus first. It's in it to glorify God. James says it this way. He talks about these different mindsets in verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Let, let them show their mindset by how they walk their life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, that's the me first, right? Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom do not, does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to hear that your mindset was unspiritual and demonic? For where you have envy, in selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Here we go. Here's the upward mindset. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is true humility. It's not self-deprecating. Oh, I'm nothing. No, you just, yes, you're great. I'm terrible. It's not that at all. Christ died for us. You think he doesn't think that we are valuable? He is. We thinks we're so valuable that he thought that you and I were worth paying his life on the cross with. That is how valuable he sees us. Humility is like what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, don't imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. Can you hear that in his British accent? I wasn't going to do it because it doesn't work. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility, no. He will not be thinking about himself at all. See, the inward mindset, me first. We think, if I do this, then I'll have joy or happiness. What happens? It doesn't bring us joy. Brings us more stress because it all depends on us. If it's a, 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 a you man said, I'll, I'll just do good things for everybody else and, and I'll fully deny every need that I have. You, you, you end up hating yourself for thinking that nobody cares about you. That doesn't bring us joy. It's this upward mindset 
that allows us to relax and have true joy. Like Paul said, complete his joy. Here's how John the Baptist said it in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's about more of him, more upward mindset, less in and out. Pastor and author Gavin Ortland wrote this, humility is not hiding what you can do or hating who you are. It's the joy of thinking about yourself less and about Jesus more. Coaching that team taught me that I had to bury my competitive nature when it comes to U6, U8, and so far U10 uh, soccer. So I'm doing okay. Um, I'll report more as to how humble your pastor is out there and keep me accountable. If you see certain things out there and you're like, hey man, you're a little intense. Don't you remember their eight? Nine, I'm working on burying that ego and really focusing on two things. One, the mission of teaching them how to play this beautiful game, but more importantly, blessing them as young people and letting them know that they can do hard things, that we can come back from a loss, that we have what it takes to grow in any skill and persevere through life, seeing the individual, being Jesus, not only to them, but to their parents. That is upward First, Jesus modeled this mindset in these final verses in Philippians, which I want to deduct three points and then we'll be done. Who, Paul writes, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus rejected entitlement. How can we have this upward mindset? How can we model Jesus? We reject entitlement. Listen to this, though. We don't reject the title. He never rejected his title as a son of man, as God incarnate. He never rejected the authority that God gave him, but he rejected what he could have taken. We see this in the temptation when he's in the desert and, and, the, and, and the, the enemy says, hey, throw yourself down and, and watch the angels catch you. Don't you think that Jesus could have done that? He could have absolutely done that, but that wasn't the way the Father, that wasn't the sovereign plan of God in the redemptive story at that time. He needed to go to the cross. He needed to suffer. And so when we look at whatever title we have, we don't reject the title. We reject the entitlement that comes with it. And if I were to double click on that, it just looks like the things that we think that we deserve more than other people. And so when we walk into our offices, what would it be like if we lay down not the authority, but the entitlement we set that aside and we looked at everybody the same, which is what he did, Jesus did next. He said, rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he not only re rejected the entitlement that he could have had, but he also served. He took the form of a servant and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us first. So in that office uh, setting, in your school setting, in your family setting, what would it look like to serve those that you're around? To size everybody in the room. And instead of 
try to vie for that status or that, well, I've done things. I deserve status and perks and this or that. We would say, you know what? Maybe I do, but I'm going to set that aside. And I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and set myself underneath as at the lowest spot. Sit not in the place of honor, but in another place or on the floor because that's what Jesus did. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, Matthew 20, 28, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many times, what do we do? We wait for others. We think, oh, I deserve for that person to call me or I deserve for that person to invite me to this or that. What would it look like if this week we took initiative in the same way that Jesus did and, and we loved first. We called first. We texted first. We forgave first and put ourselves in that lowly status, that humble posture, this upward mindset that Jesus had. In uh, 400 AD, only 400 after Jesus uh, walked the earth, there's an early church father John, uh, called John uh, Chrysostom. And uh, he wrote this in a sermon about this very passage. He said, if you accept that such and such person is better than you, meaning if you take the low position in a situation and, and, and you accept that such and such person is better than you and persuade yourself of this, not only saying it, but being fully assured of it, you also will happily see him honored. You will have joy when others are honored instead of envious. And they don't deserve that. I do. And if you happily give him honor and will not be disturbed to see him honored, honored by others. And so this week, who can you love first? We have married people this afternoon. I'm a part of two weddings today. I feel like I'm surrounded by the bliss of marriage. If you're married, perhaps that starts with your spouse, to love them first. Jesus, husbands, told us, teaches us, says that we are to be the leaders of our home in this way, to model grace in our homes, to love our wives is the way that Jesus loved the church, loving them completely, that he would even die for her. Are you willing to sacrifice your own desires to serve and love your spouse first? And every wife in the room said, amen. <laughs> Maybe it starts in marriage. And the cool thing about it is that when we love first, joy follows. Here's what Proverbs says about this in verse 25, chapter 11. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Try it out and see how it goes to place yourself last in loving others first. Lastly, Jesus was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. So not only is this upward mindset one that rejects entitlement and loves first, but it's also one that obeys humbly, obeys when it's difficult, obeys when it's uncomfortable, obeys when it requires suffering. That is the upward mindset of Jesus. For the joy set before him, Hebrews writes, for the joy set before him, he endured the punishment that lay before him on the cross. So what may God be asking you 
to put to death in your life? What may he be calling you to obey him and say, you know what? I'm going to bury that. I'm going to bury my ego in this situation, relationship, whatever. I'm going to bury this habit that I know is wrong and I've been holding on because I think it's going to give me some happiness, but I'm going to trust God. Now I'm going to put it to death as a response to what he has done for me. Either we are looking for promotion or salvation, but we cannot have both deep inside of us. We've been given something that we don't deserve. What we deserve as people who have fallen short of the glory of God is eternal separation from our creator. But God, who was rich in mercy, full of love, gave us his son, who was obedient to the point of death on a cross. I want to close with a contrast. Jesus was calling out the me first mentality in Luke chapter 18. It writes in verse nine, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and even give a full tenth of all I get. You can catch that. I mean, this guy fasts twice a week. He does all these great things for God, and he even does all these great things through the church by giving to, wow, he's got it. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus writes, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Maybe this morning, you need to come forward as we close with the one final worship song and just lay your ego, lay selfish ambition, lay a desire for something at the feet of Jesus. Say, you know what, God, not my will, but yours be done. Maybe you need to do that by praying with someone here in this wing or, or that wing. They would love to join you in that. Or maybe it's just right there where you are in your seat saying, Lord, you know what I need to give up. I'm giving it to you. Help me. I know I need it. The good news is that how what Tim Keller writes is true. He, he said this, there's nothing more relaxing than humility. Pride grumbles at everything, but humility can joyfully receive life as a gift. If you're able and willing, please stand as we close in prayer. Father, we marvel at the fact that you creator, the CEO became just an average Joe and gave your life for us so that we can have life to the full here on earth and forever. And I want to give an opportunity to anyone that hasn't given their life over to the Lord. Maybe that's what you need to give to God this morning is your very life. Scripture 
teaches us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he's been raised from the dead, we will be saved. It is by faith that we have been saved because he did the work. And so I want to encourage you this morning to give your life to him, to surrender your life and choose to follow him as your savior and Lord. And I want to help you do that by leading you in a prayer. And you can say these words after me, Jesus, this morning I surrender and I give you my life because you gave me yours. I thank you for the cross where you pay the price for my sin and for your resurrection that has given me everlasting life. I choose to follow you from this day forward in Jesus' name. And Lord, for the rest of us that are already on this journey, we need your help. Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, convict us, correct us so that we can have this upward mindset in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.